and welcome to Everybody A, Everybody Gay. A queer exploration of Pretty Little Liars. With your hosts, Speak Pirate, a.k.a. Joanna, I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your other host, LCO123, a.k.a. Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vander Jesus. Oh, welcome, welcome. Tonight we are talking about I'm Your Puppet, and there is going to be a ghost waltz in the Radley basement tonight. There's also a fake sun kidnapping, and the candy striper outfits are back. <laughs> Thank God. Yes, uh, this is an episode, this is the penultimate episode of season three. Uh, there are so many potential plot threads being thrown out here. Uh, none of which will really matter at all in the coming seasons. Uh, but but I, I do sort of feel like thematically there are some ideas that are floated here that do ultimately play into the resolution of some major plot threads. But this is really a, a time when it's clear that the writers were just kind of throwing things to the wall and seeing what was going to stick, you know? Yeah, it, the scripts are just like a giant pot of not fully cooked spaghetti that they are hurling uh, at the ner- nearest surface to see what's going to take or what's not. Exactly, exactly. I, I feel like I envision the writer's room having like a giant wheel and they're just spinning it like, um, shady character, Ren Kingston, um, maybe Spencer and Allie are related. We'll see, you know, like it's just it's just the random plot wheel here. Yeah, I think that it's either a wheel or, like, a Mad Lib, perhaps. Uh, You know, they're just, like, that's what it is. It's a plot wheel that they're using to fill in a Mad Lib, and that's kind of how, uh, that's kind of how you get this particular episode. And they're doing it all with their eyes closed. Yeah, this episode has some great moments uh, and some great lines, but, yeah, it's, um, looking back, looking back with the full knowledge of the show, uh, it's clear that the plotting here is a bit of a mess, to, to put it kindly. Yes, yes, indeed. Well, shall we shall we dive into this mess? Uh, we shall. Will, will you start us off today? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, we begin at a, on a rainy, radley evening. Spencer is sitting alone in the darkened day room as the other liars walk in. The liars seem happy if hesitant to see Spencer, but Spencer is still very much in the dark place. She grouses about how her mom thinks everything will be okay if she takes a nice bath and sleeps in her own bed, but they don't make a loofah that scrapes out the inside of your head. Hannah has absolutely no patience for this, and she jumps in with both feet, announcing that the park rangers have found a body. There's a a little back and forth from the other liars about whether they should actually talk about this, but... Uh, they they ultimately decide to reveal to Spencer that this body is not Toby. It wasn't even in the place where uh, Spencer says that she saw Toby. Um, this feels like maybe information we should have found out before this scene. I don't know. This feels like kind of a big uh, a big plot plot bomb here. But uh, you know we're 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 running out of we're running out of time. I guess here at the end of season three, Spencer is still very insistent that she saw Toby. That he is dead. She also says that she needs more time here, but Hannah is adamant that Spencer needs to get out, get uh, out of Radley, uh, even going so far as to name check Mona and the Roaches. She says, you are not crazy. This place is. 
Um, I, I feel like we'll have a lot to talk about Hannah's reaction in particular. I think there's a real element here of her being afraid of losing Spencer the way she feels like she lost Mona, uh, specifically to Radley and to mental illness. Um, Spencer says that she feels safe here. The bars don't only keep her in or don't only keep her from getting out. They keep other people from getting in. She returns to her room, shuffling around in her pillowcase a bit and refusing to offer any more goodbyes to the liars. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love this scene and I love how completely, uh, in character all of these liars are in terms of their reactions. Emily actually does her M-splaining a couple of times, trying to say what this person means is, or, you know, what your mom means is to try to, like, just, you know, deal with this mental illness by smoothing everything over conversationally as best she can. Aria does not seem to understand the gravity of the situation, wanting to talk about what their plans are going to be for when Spencer gets out tomorrow, even though Spencer is like, I am not going anywhere. I live in the dark now. <laughs> um, Arya is like, we could get cupcakes. You know, she's not really, uh, she's not really there. And Hannah being the only one who's really brave enough to face this and also being the person who has the most experience uh, with visiting uh, a beloved uh, friend slash partner slash you know nemesis at Radley and even having the line that uh, Spencer shuffling around in Mona's old slippers isn't going to help anything uh, I think that that's a really great line especially considering all the ways that Spencer is walking literally retracing Mona's footsteps uh, and putting herself in Mona's shoes as we go through this episode I totally agree. I totally agree. What do you make of that line, you're not crazy, this place is? Oh, I think that Hannah really, uh, I think that Hannah really has a, a bead on whether or not Radley is helpful, whether it was helpful to Mona, which it pretty clearly wasn't. Um, and I think that, I think that what Hannah feels is like, when Mona said to Spencer, you're just as sane as I am. What Hannah seems to feel is that Spencer and Mona are different. That Mona maybe a lot of times can't help herself, but Spencer maybe can. That Spencer is, I think Hannah is implying that Spencer is leaning into her instability when maybe she should be able to pull back from it. And whether or not that's fair, I, I do think that's kind of Hannah's take on it. Hannah is angry mm -hmm. with Spencer for her situation in a way that she is not, I think, angry with Mona. Yeah, I think that that's a great distinction. I, I totally agree. It's, it is curious because, you know, watching this scene, I did feel an element of frustration at Spencer, whether it's fair or not. There, I, I mean, I, I have, I feel very bad for Spencer, but there also is this way in which it's, it does, Spencer is leaning in, but I think she's leaning in because nobody has been listening. And, and this, and this feels like, um, this feels like, like the way for that to happen in some ways. I agree. And I think that there's an interesting question of like, a lot of energy has gone into the idea of, is Jenna faking being blind? Is Mona faking being mentally ill? And so I think that there's an element here where we're supposed to continuously question is Spencer having a breakdown or is Spencer herself faking it? Because we're kind yeah. of conditioned 
to be suspicious of, uh, you know, of women seeking mental health treatment mm-hmm. on the show. I think that's a great point. Yeah, I agree. Mm. Uh, also, uh, I just want to call out the hat on a hat on a hat of the fact that there was a body found in the woods that was a camper that's not Toby. <laughs> and then we're going to find another body in the woods that we think is Toby, but actually neither of those bodies is going to be Toby, <laughs> which is another uh, which is another example of like, gasp, Wilden's body's in the trunk. Only it's not his body, it's a pig. But then, <laughs> Wilden's body is on the side of the road. Like, there are just bodies upon bodies upon bodies. Uh, apparently, this camper was just, like, a random, uh, you know, a, a random camper uh, who doesn't have anything to do with the larger plot. This was just an into-the-woods kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah, I, it seems like um, the bigger uh, concern here is that there might be a serial killer killing 20-year-old white men in Rosewood. <laughs> well, there are certainly, there are so many of them. It's it's hard to know uh, which ones would or would not be missed. It's true. It's true. Yep. Uh, so, uh, post-credits, we open on life partners, Hannah and Emily, having a rough time in week 60 gazillion of quarantine. <laughs> the contents of Hannah's makeup bag are spilled all over Emily's pillow, Hannah is worrying about the wrong things like Wilden and his car instead of the ones Emily thinks are important. Spencer, presumably. Also, Hannah has left a wet towel on Emily's bed and Emily snappishly assures her that cars can't float. Otherwise, the pilgrims would have driven her here. Uh, This is what happens when you constantly skip class and Ella Montgomery teaches every single subject in (laughs) your school. Uh, Hannah goes out not wanting breakfast. Pam comes in and, oh gosh, they are isolating with Emily's mom. That must be hard as well. Uh, Pam, of course, loves Hannah, but that girl needs to learn the word fold. Uh, She immediately joins Emily in a compulsive tidying of Hannah's area and things, during which they discuss Spencer in distress and how she still thinks it was Toby's body in the woods. Pam has one of those mental illness might be contagious sorts of reactions. uh, And Emily takes advantage of it to get Pam to promise more information on the body in the woods if she hears anything about it down at the precinct. Yeah, Pam is making some weird choices in this episode, I gotta say. Um, That line about, Pam has a line about like, don't take on a tragedy that has nothing to do with you. And I get that she is, you know, she's ostensibly talking about this camper, right? This random dead person um, and Emily not sort of taking on more tragedy. But it sounds a little callous considering that Spencer and Toby are Emily's friends and that if a, if this is a tragedy impacting um, either one of them, this would be a pretty big deal. Uh, and then, yeah, later I feel like Pam Pam makes some, some bad choices in the way that she handles the situation. But uh, it is always really fun when Emily and Hannah are living together. It is. It is a blast. This episode also, now that we're talking about it, it has three moms. Uh, three yes. moms who are in it, uh, not with each other, but uh, are all interacting with their daughters. So that's a pretty high number of parents, I think. It's also got a lot of parent crossover because you've got Pam and Ella interacting with Hannah. Yeah. Oh, 
very true. Very true. Yeah. Uh, and and Caleb has a daddy lurking around. So oh, Caleb and his daddy, and Prezra has a fake son. Yeah. Uh, yeah, lots of family ties all over the place. So speaking of fake sons, Prezra Fitz comes out of the coffee shop with a single cruller, the saddest little cruller you ever did see. Plops it down in front of Arya and asks if it's big enough for them to split. Uh, she, of course, is nervous about the two of them being seen out in public post her whole Hackett uh, in- shakedown in the last episode. But he insists that they're not going backwards. So it is completely on Arya to deal with all the worrying and logistics. He's going to blanket this conversation in the cold comfort of a condescending, we'll figure it out. Nothing between us needs to change. The physical manifestation of their ch- this change, Maggie, calls at this very moment with a, a need for Malcolm to be picked up from karate class. Uh, side note, these guys, these Malcolm and Maggie are certainly getting comfortable if Malcolm is already enrolled in a karate class here in Rosewood. Um, Prezra, of course, is the real hero of this piece, telling, telling Maggie that he'll take care of it, and then immediately swiveling to Arya to say that he can't take care of it because he has an important job interview. Arya kind of um, mentions that she would offer, except for the whole, you know, Malcolm getting his chin split open thing. Prezra is very quick to make this Maggie's problem, saying that uh, it's not about me at all. He completely throws Maggie under the bus here and then uh, gets Arya to agree to, to deal with his child because, as we know, he really doesn't care. Yeah, he is the worst. And in this scene, he continues to be the worst. Um, you know, I, I kind of wish that we, we have the whole, like, Sarah Harvey, does she have hands? Uh, I wish that there was a thing, like, does Malcolm even have a chin anymore <laughs> after Arya, uh, after Arya was babysitting for him last time? But, of course, we know that he does. Prezra, I feel like, is in real dad mode in this episode. He's super condescending to Arya in all of their scenes together. <laughs> offering a lot of, like, like forehead kisses and like you know like perk up kiddo it's all gonna be okay like it's it's uh, it's not a good look the way he behaves with her when she's like saying i'm not sure we should be seen in public together after i just lied to hackett like this underlines why hackett should have been talking to the adult who applied for the job rather than aria aria still goes to a school where hackett is the principal Arya is the one who had to lie. Like, there are consequences for her that do not necessarily apply to him right now. And he is, uh, yeah, he's just acting like, oh, you know, you're uptightness. That's your problem. I certainly have, you know, I certainly have nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with a job that I applied for without telling you or whether we should talk about your feelings ever at all. Certainly we shouldn't. Right, right, exactly. It's it's just he... Yeah, he has this this real. I, I mean, and it makes sense considering who he is. Like this real attitude of just like, why are you why are you getting so upset about this? Why are you getting so bothered about this? Like it's all gonna be okay, you know? Well, yeah, and he definitely like knowing that he has a thing that he has to go to that afternoon. He knows from the moment he agrees that he'll take care of the the pickup that he's gonna make Arya do it. Like there's not yeah. any question that he would actually inconvenience himself in any way. Now, I so I totally misremembered that I thought that Arya, when Arya picked up Malcolm at the karate dojo, this was when she that was when she met Karate Jake, um, which does not happen in this episode. 
but I kind of don't remember how they do meet. Yes, I thought that too when she wound up at the dojo, but uh, yeah, it's it's not this time apparently. The dojo is a no-jo for Karate Jake. Very, very, very artful, artful, <laughs> artful language there. Um, yes, yeah, I, it, well, it's, that's, it's like another hat on a hat because now there's going to be some other reason for Arya to end up at a dojo to meet Karate Jake, you know? <laughs> Well, you know, when you're Arya and you're on a different show, you just happen to spend a lot of times of your life hanging out at a dojo. It's just that, well, just there was the happens. whole Holden thing. There was the Holden thing too. So yes, yes, that she does. Arya is like secretly the ghostwriter of Fight Club. Apparently, <laughs> that's that's, that's going to be the revelation in season like thirty C. There we go. <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, so uh, back at school, Hannah and Caleb are talking in one of the alcoves. He's over the moon about his dad. She smells like air freshener because Pam sprayed it on all of her clothes and then in her hair. Uh, she tells him this, but she does not tell him her suspicions uh, about Uncle Jamie, dad, uh, because she just seems really reluctant to have more to do with him. Uh, they make out instead of talking more. And then Ella Montgomery sees them and looks inexplicably worried. Yeah, it's such a strange shot, have, like not knowing what's going to happen later in this episode, because it looks like like Ella is like romantically jealous of one or both of them. Like it's a very odd shot. That is definitely what it looks like. Or like Ella knows something like really damaging about one of them like that Caleb yeah. is cheating on Hannah or that yeah it's a it's a weird look uh it the episode probably could have done without it but it's just to put our to put our radar up that uh, something is going on with Ella and these two right um Aria asks Emily if Pam can just give her a copy of the coroner's report Emily points out that the coroner's report doesn't say not Toby it just says John Doe uh, just then, Emily gets a text from Shauna, who is has apparently been texting her a lot with Paige out of town. And then Hannah bops over, and we have this very weird exposition conversation about how Shauna is apparently into Emily now, even though nothing the show has shown us previously would suggest this. Again, unless Missy Franklin is supposed to be a stand-in for lesbian flirting. Arya fancies herself quite the Carrie Bradshaw, tossing out an X in the city line that you know she's been workshopping for a while. Emily pivots to talk about how worried she is about Spencer. The other liars, as has been the case recently, seem a bit less concerned. Emily concocts a wild new plan. They need to get back to the morgue to take some pictures of the not-Toby dead body. Yeah, this scene is just like you have a bunch of info that gets tossed in a bag together and shaken <laughs> up until everybody has some lines. Uh, because we've got the coroner's report, we've got uh, the Spencer and Radley, we have Shauna flirting with Emily, uh, and just just like blah, 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 walk and talk. Uh, I really think that this is a cheap, cheap way of acting like, oh, well, now Shauna is into Emily, even though we're never going to show them flirting together or let you know what any of their text messages may have said. Also, Paige exists, but she's out of town. Although 
although I'm sure she'd be jealous if she knew about these text messages that you'll <laughs> never see or hear. Uh, this is super lazy lesbianism here in this episode. It really is. I mean, Emily doesn't even get to be like literally Hannah and Aria are just telling us it's it's like this whole scene is like gaslighting like Arya and Hannah are just telling us what we are supposed to be getting away from the scene and from this whole storyline and and none of it that we have seen so far from any of the actual lesbian characters is explaining any of it and and also it comes to nothing Shauna flirting with <gasps> Emily has nothing it doesn't play into the bigger a game somehow it's not like shauna flirts with emily and emily lets her guard down and reveals some important information like there's there's it's i think it's just to establish that shauna is flirtatious but like oh, i think it's just to establish that shauna exists i guess so but it's just it's so weird and emily doesn't even emily like doesn't even have a line basically in this exchange like it's literally Arya and Hannah like talking over her about she how she's blushing and they haven't even put makeup on Shay Mitchell's face to make it look like she's, blushing. she's not even blushing. She's not even blushing. Like it's 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 bizarre. It's like an art experiment. Like it just doesn't make any sense. It's like what what? What? Yeah, what? it's, it's like somebody telling you the sky is orange and you're looking up and you're like, it is clearly blue. All right. So this is, uh, yeah, they're like doing a, a weird, like taming of the shrew lesbian <laughs> text situation here. But um, what, uh, what do you think? And this, this will be a question for our listeners as well. Uh, what do you imagine these flirtatious texts that make Emily blush or not blush? Uh, <laughs> what, what do you think? What do you think they are? Oh, well, that's a good question because I feel like there are a lot of directions that 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 Shauna could go. Like she could just work the swimming angle and be very like complimentary towards Emily, maybe like get in some digs about her like hot swimmer bod or like just start oh. quoting like race times at her or something like that. She could just completely repeat lines that she knows Allison has fed to Emily. So she could start talking about like Paris and, you know, um, like she could quote Allison in this very episode and say something about practice being better than the real thing or something. Um, or I feel like it could just be literally like the driest, like it was, it sure was cool when we got a picture with Missy Franklin, wasn't it? Yeah, it sure was cool, Shauna. Like, I feel like it could just be the driest, least flirtatious thing imaginable. Like, they could be talking about doing laundry or something. And, like, that's that's the way that everybody is reacting in this scene. I don't know. What do you think? Interesting. Interesting. You had a lot of theories on that, but none of them were like, she's just sending Emily nudes. She's just, well, she's just like dropping like <laughs> like pictures pictures of Shauna like flexing or something. Like, I feel like that's Shauna's style personally, but I don't know. Maybe it is. What What are your thoughts? Um, I don't know. I mean, we know so little about Shauna that it is really hard to imagine what her flirtations would be. Like, come to the costume shop, and mm. I will. Drop some Halloween on you. 
Do wow. you want to know more about the Queen of Hearts? I'm, you know, like I, I, I don't know. I I could be the Queen of your heart. There we there go. There you go. Yeah, yeah. It's just um, really bad the, Halloween puns. Yeah. I like your idea uh, of the hot swimmer bod. That is an oldie but a goodie, uh, classic for a reason, etc. Um, but yeah, it's it's really hard to imagine what exactly those lines would be. Alternatively, I kind of like the theory that she's just sending Emily like the filthiest sex imaginable. And like <laughs> this this like not blush is Emily completely underreacting. <laughs> like just like incredibly vulgar stuff. But she's like, I had this dream about you the other night. Yeah. And like, oh, hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, Do you yeah, well? Oh. Do you think that uh, do you think that Hannah knows about it because Hannah has been like reading Emily's texts and maybe answering Shauna? Like maybe there's a, a Cyrano angle to it as well. I like this. I like this other question. Do you think that Paige plays into any of these flirty texts? Like, do you think that or do you think that Paige oh. is just a non-presence? Well, I really do for for the purposes of parody. I do really like the idea that Shauna might be trying to get a queer throuple going, uh, whether it were to be uh, Jenna, Shauna, Allie, or whether it was to be like Shauna, Paige, Emily, or whether it was going to be Shauna, Allison, Emily. I do like the idea uh, that that's something that Shauna might be trying to engineer or Shauna, Emily, Spencer. There are lots and lots of possibilities uh, that are open to her. Yeah. Yeah, I could, I could kind of, I could kind of see that because like, what, I mean, swimming and Paige are like the two things they have in common <laughs> that we know mm -hmm. of, you know, um, and a love of Missy Franklin. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, just that's, another, Franklin. <laughs> that's another option, right? Shauna, Emily, Missy Franklin. Maybe that's like what happened when they took Missy to the airport. Who can say? Maybe she's writing Emily like weird second person fanfic about having sex with Missy Franklin. <laughs> oh man, there are so many. Like this is such a throwaway line, but I just feel like it, it opens itself up to a lot of queer. Like they were, they were almost just like, we don't need to really be super queer with Emily's storyline because we do have a ghost waltz coming. Like they knew the ghost waltz was out there, so they were just like. Gay text. Next thing. Right. Moving right along. And and the other thing that's so funny is like Emily doesn't even seem like she wants to talk about it. Like or is very excited by it. Like it's literally just the reactions of the other liars. It is bizarre. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. This was like it was just to remind us that Paige exists and that Shauna exists and that there's some kind of triangle that the liars aren't really sure like what it's gonna be like yet. And that Emily is gay, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because it's been God knows how many episodes since we've actually seen Emily kiss a girl, so. Uh, oh, yeah, and it's been, it's been quite a few episodes since we've even seen Paige, actually. Yes, yes, yeah. I think it was the, the episode where they went to the costume shop. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. Uh, so back over at Radley. Uh, Eddie Lamb is handing Spencer a particular board game and asking if she's ever played it, which she is not. Ren 
bursts in. Uh, he seems almost out of breath as he arrives in this scene, as if he just, like, sprinted to Spencer's room after seeing her name on the admission forms and says he's just been told Spencer was admitted. Uh, he has a brief dick measuring contest as he forces Eddie to leave the room and then uh, tells Spencer that this game uh, that Eddie has uh, handed her was one of Mona's obsessions when she first arrived. Uh, Red has to go almost immediately, but not before he refers to their romantic entanglement and squeezes her shoulder because he is a creep. Yeah, this is like this is like probably the most villainous Ren episode that we've had so far. Like he just comes across, I feel like especially in contrast to Eddie, who's like a mental health professional who actually seems to be doing his job for the right reasons. Ren comes across as even more of a creep. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, Ren, based on the fact that he has a romantic entanglement with Spencer, he should be staying so far away from her as a patient. It's not even, like, him even talking to her, it, I think, violates, like, several standards of ethics at this time. And he even, I even feel like for the first time, there are scenes in this episode where Rhett, where Spencer seems afraid of him, including this scene. I think she she seems she really her demeanor shifts when he when he approaches. Uh, it does, but there's also um, there's also an element of Spencer uh, trying to kind of lose herself in into Bradley into yes. being a patient there, and I think that Ren. Like, Ren's perception of who Spencer is is so, like, he has such a firm idea of it in his head that it is difficult for for Spencer to, like, maintain, like, the sort of Jane Doe-ishness uh, that is part of who she is at Radley. I mean, they know that she's Spencer yes. Hastings now, but, like, it's hard for her to be just any other patient when Ren is there. So Ella Montgomery clearly was not content to just have the bad boundaries exist within her own family system and has decided to bring the Marins into her little web. She does this by calling Hannah into her classroom and letting Hannah know that she can't get a hold of Ashley to reschedule their next date or, or uh, weigh in on a delicate issue. We learn that Ella is on the church restoration committee, which I, I don't know that I really buy that the Montgomerys are like, ardent churchgoers in this way. Um, Ella speaks vaguely about Jamie and misunderstandings and whether Ashley knew him very well, then turns to her blackboard to reveal that an $8,000 bell is missing and Jamie seems to be the prime suspect. Um, this is like the, the last thing Hannah needs to be dealing with on this already very uh, bad and chaotic day of hers. Yeah, I really feel like so many problems in Rosewood would be better resolved by talking to the actual people involved. Like, Pastor yes. Ted should speak directly to Jamie about this, not have Ella try to reach Ashley, and when Ashley can't be reached, try to talk to Hannah about it. Like, what is Ashley going to say that's going to have any bearing on whether or not Jamie stole this $8,000 bell? Yeah, it just, it, and it's, Ella goes about this conversation, I feel like it's in that way when it's like, 
there's something there's some piece of gossip that you know you should keep to yourself. You know you shouldn't tell somebody, but you're like kind of looking for any opportunity to to tell somebody and then you're going to kind of act like, "Well, you pried it out of me." Like I feel like that's how Ella is approaching this conversation with Hannah. She absolutely shouldn't be divulging this to Hannah and getting Hannah involved in this, but like it's not going to take very much work for her to spill the beans. Yeah, that she's just spilling all the beans from the moment that Hannah walks in. Uh, also, my answer to why Ella is on the church board is that Pastor Ted has like asked all of the women that he went on one internet date with to be like elders of the church, and so yeah. the entire uh, the entire church elder group is made up of women who found him unappealing and felt <laughs> kind of bad about it. Uh, and so now are like stuck serving on the church board for the rest of time. Oh, that, that's a really gross, but probably accurate thought. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, back at Radley, Spencer is studying the game board. Now that she knows Mona and apparently Eddie used to play together. Uh, she discerns that some of the markings are a rough map and silently uses it to arrive at a locked window casement that actually turns out to have a broken lock. Uh, Spencer opens it, and it turns out she has discovered one of Mona's possible routes in and out of the building. Yes. Yeah, I love I love Spencer following this, you know, possible trap that Mona has set up for her, possible escape. I also really like the idea that Spencer is resisting getting out of Radley through the, like, the channel that she's supposed to get out of Radley, like, through this whole, like, the 72-hour hold and going home with her family. But, like, the idea of escaping Radley in this way is very exciting to her. And we'll find out later she she uses, you know? Yeah, I, I like, um, you know, we, we talked about, like, this episode seems to be laying a lot of track for plot lines that don't come to fruition, but I like the way this episode sets up what's going on with Spencer and Radley. I like that we see her discovering the window here and there's not going to be like a payoff for that until the very final uh, couple of scenes of this episode when we find out that Spencer has indeed used this window to escape. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, really, it's really good. And just all of the scenes of Spencer kind of following this roadmap are really... I just think really well shot and well directed and, and just creepy and interesting and not, but not overplayed. Like they're just, they're really good. Well, Troyan is such a good actress. I mean, she has chemistry with the game board, with the shadowy walls, with the window casement. I mean, she, she can do a lot with very little. Case in point, Spoby. Uh, <laughs> so at this ill-fated uh, uncle daddy dinner, Caleb, Jamie, and Hannah are all sitting together. Hannah picks at her food sullenly as Jamie suddenly hands her a jewelry box. Inside is an angel necklace. And he kind of like, I feel like he kind of bullies her into opening this box and putting it on. I also feel like it's weird that he's buying her jewelry. Like jewelry feels like a gift that you get from like a partner or like maybe a parent who is your own parent or a grandparent, jewelry does not feel like something that your suddenly reappeared boyfriend's dad should be giving to you. What do you think? I really agree. I really, I, I really think that that is 
correct. Especially, um, I feel like there's a certain expectation with a necklace that when someone gives it to you, they're gonna like sort of put it on your neck, and <laughs> I, I don't like that. I, I'm not a fan. <laughs> Yeah, and the way that Caleb is smiling through this whole scene kind of makes it seem like he was, like, involved in the necklace purchase or, like, set it up. And I'm like, why can't Caleb just give her – why can't it be a thing where, like, Uncle Daddy gave Caleb money to buy this necklace for Hannah? Like, that would be a little bit better, I think. But uh, the necklace coming directly from Uncle Daddy feels – is setting off some alarm bells for me. Also – this necklace is nothing like anything that Hannah Marin yes. would ever wear. It is wildly not her style. <laughs> I don't even think that even Arya would wear this necklace, ironically. Like, if yes. any character on the show were going to have this necklace in their jewelry box, I would say Pam Fields. Like, yes. this is Pam Fields' necklace that is being given to Hannah. And it's, it's just no good. It is no good. It is no good. Hannah, you can just see, like... Poor Hannah, like you could just see in every scene in this episode, like she's probably like her stomach is dropping even more, you know. Um, Jamie goes off to take a call from Pastor Ted, and somehow, like, we'll I feel like we come back to this particular setup like two or three times. Yeah, uh, this is one of uh, this is a very awkward PLL dinner that I had forgotten about. We talked about yes. awkward dinners, um, we talked about. Uh, Emily having Maya over for that very uncomfortable dinner where she forgot Maya was allergic to seafood. Then the really awkward uh, Emily, Maya, Pam dinner where Maya kept talking about pot smoking all the time just to bother Pam. Then the Allison, Pam, Emily, Hannah dinner party where Hannah knows what Hannah means and she's getting totally drunk. But Hannah, you know, she also has this, this dinner with Caleb and Uncle Daddy. Uh, she also had that uh, that really awkward dinner with her dad where he invited his entire new family to join them unexpectedly. Uh, it's and, true. And then we have, we have uh, Hannah's who killed my sister dinner, uh, the, the Allison dinner party where she invites everybody over because she wants to see who might've killed Charlotte. Uh, poor Hannah really does have her share of invitations. She should really just get comfortable maybe turning some of these invites down. Like, you don't yeah. have to go to every meal you're invited to. That's a that's a lesson I would really like these liars to to take to heart. No one is having a good time at this particular event. That's true. That's true. This one isn't a dinner, but there's also the super awkward lunch date with Jessica De Laurentiis where she's like <gasps> eating Bloody Marys and hands them all their dead friend's clothes. <laughs> Yeah, you 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 really don't have to agree to every you know every social obligation uh, that anyone throws your way. That that's my takeaway here. Yes, yes, I think that is that is is an important piece of advice. Also, Jamie calls Ted Pastor Ted. He says he 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 gets the call and he's like, "It's Pastor Ted." And I feel like, why does everyone call him Pastor Ted? Like. <laughs> I know if you're like a Catholic <laughs> priest, you might be called like Father Jim or Father George or whatever. But I kind of think if you're just like a regular like church person, I don't think you're generally called like Reverend Bill or Pastor Ted. I, I think the, the fact that other characters are calling him Pastor Ted is super weird. 
Yeah, I think so too. It's it's almost like in every scene they need to remind us that he is in fact a pastor. Yeah, it's it's basically his Shauna costume shop. It is completely, completely. I agree. Oh my goodness. Uh, over at Radley, Veronica is doing the pretend everything is normal coping mechanism uh, by persistently trying to get Spencer to wear her regular clothes uh, in the hopes that it will switch her back to her regular self. Spencer is, uh, you know, really reluctant, uh, really resistant to that, but Veronica is not listening, uh, at least not until Spencer grabs the hangers and throws the regular clothes on the floor. Then she sits down and says she wants to know the truth about what happened with Spencer and Toby. The last time she saw anyone hold on to a secret this hard was Allison. And weeks later, she was dead. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah, I, I feel like this is a, um, a really good scene that quickly devolves into Veronica just providing some exposition leading us into a flashback. Um, but I find like a queer reading of this scene totally fascinating because Veronica is like, she has all of these clothes that are the Spencer costume, right? They're the Spencer clothes. She has like the blouse, she has the blazer. And she even says at one point to Spencer, she's like, you don't even have to put on the blazer, Spencer, just put on the blouse. Like, she's like, just get back to normal. Just, just be the daughter that you've always been for me. And Spencer is saying, I can't go back. I can't go back. Stop trying to make me. I'm not ready. I'm not that girl anymore. And thinking about that in the context of like, Spencer is, Spencer has come out or been outed or is fighting, you know, fighting this internal battle with herself. And Veronica here is saying, just put it away. Just go back in the closet. Just put on these clothes. Just, just be my perfect straight daughter. I find really, really interesting. Oh, that is a fantastic point, especially considering uh, Spencer's recent interactions with Mona, especially considering Hannah's reaction to seeing Spencer in Radley as Mona was in Radley, and also uh, considering Spencer is going to be ghost waltzing uh, with Allison really soon. I think that that is a really, uh, a, a really good call out. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 um, it's this is a very a very sad scene and I and I'm sort of sad that it that it ends with this Allison flashback even though I like this flashback because I kind of feel like it um it shifts the attention away from this real conflict between Veronica and Spencer. There's so much going on in this scene uh in terms of like Veronica does not want to talk about what Spencer is actually feeling. Like she doesn't yeah. want to talk about Spencer being uh, in a, a mental health facility, she doesn't want to talk about the last time she, Veronica, was at this facility, uh, which is when Mary Drake was giving birth and she was, you know, good point, picking up Spencer hot out of the womb uh, and and rushed out to their car in like 1942 uh, in the flashback. Uh, so she, there's just so much that she is not saying here. Uh, and what she feels comfortable talking about is just this like exterior surface presentation that is so crucial to the Hastings brand. Yeah, that's a really great point. And again, I mean, obviously, so much of this had not been decided at this point. But when you think about in the fullness of time, what we will learn about the Hastings family and their connection to Radley and the Hastings and De, De Laurentiis's family, you know, connections to each other and the Drake family, you know, like it's. 
there it, it all kind of comes back to Radley and I can I can see how Veronica would want to just be like no 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 we're not we're not pulling back here again um and also that sort of denying Spencer's mental health struggles here is a way of denying that Spencer is biologically Mary Drake's yeah we have uh you know there are some really interesting parallels in this episode uh, because just as we were talking about Prezra not listening to Arya consistently in any of the scenes that they have together, uh, it's very similar here in the way that Veronica is not hearing Spencer, despite like the very explicit comments that Spencer and Arya are making about themselves and their feelings and where they're at. Yeah, that's a very good point. That's a very good and then point. We, we also have uh, both Ella and Pam who are giving uh, giving out information that they should really not be just like providing wholesale uh, to teenagers in this episode. Yeah, it's really true. And it's, I mean, we're going to, in a minute, get into um, Jason is going to come up again. And I think it's really interesting too, to think about the ways in which Alex slash Spencer and Jason are both, physical manifestations of Peter's infidelity, right? And yet the way, like, they have each been dealt with in extremely different manners by the Hastings family. And um, I don't know. I just think that's an interesting thing to think about. For sure. For sure. Do you want to take us to the flashback? Sure. I can take us to the flashback. Um, so in the flashback, Veronica is in the Hastings kitchen very late at night when Allison sneaks back into the house. Uh, she has been, this has been during a sleepover with Spencer, but Allison claims that she needed to get something from her house. It's about three in the morning. Allison is tearful. She has a bloody lip and she's clearly lying saying, you know, she heard it on a tree branch. She seems at once here like such a young girl and wise way beyond her years. Uh, Veronica asks if she had a fight with someone. Allison starts to cry and begs Veronica not to tell her parents, saying that it will get so much worse. This is, of course, yet another girl failed by Rosewood. They hug, and behind Veronica's back, we see a smile appear on Allison's face. And then Allison pulls back and she says, I'm just being weird, overly sensitive. And bops up to uh, to back to Spencer's room. <clears throat> yeah, this is uh, this is really something. And we also yes. see Veronica making kind of a bad choice here in that when Allison gives her the "Please don't tell my parents; that'll only make it worse." We know that Veronica doesn't tell the De Laurentises, uh, probably because she has her own pretty sordid history with that family, uh, but. This is something that clearly uh, is a misstep on Veronica's part, I think, and something that we assume she has reproached herself for since then. Yeah, it's 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 really true. It's it feels like um, it feels like yeah, Veronica's priorities were so much in the wrong place. Like there's a there's a thing later in this episode where Arya makes some really bad choices when she thinks that Malcolm has been when, well when Malcolm has been kidnapped by A. And Arya is like not 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 doing anything, not telling the right people, not not getting concerned enough, not contacting the police because um well I think 
A, because she knows she knows about A and she knows what A might do. But I think more than that, because she just doesn't want to make the situation worse for herself. She Her priorities are in the wrong place. And I feel like the way Veronica handles the situation with Allison is very similar. Yes. yes. And I would like to continue our queer reading of Spencer and Veronica's interaction to a possible queer interpretation of the situation with Allison. Uh, we've seen Allison uh, come over to Spencer's house in the middle of the night before. Uh, we saw that flashback from uh, a wild party going on over at Jason's and uh, Allison coming in and asking Spencer if she could stay there on a moment's notice because stuff was going on at her house that she was like uncomfortable with uh, and also looking kind of scared at, at that time. Uh, so I think it's I think it's possible that Allison was upstairs having a sleepover. I think it's also possible that something happened at Allison's house uh, that she needs to come over and take refuge at the Hastings. Uh, and I would like to posit uh, that she might have been outed, that she might have been outed, uh, and Kenneth De Laurentiis might be the one who bloodied her lip. I know that there's a lot of back and forth about this. That we think later it's Melissa. It might have been Cece. We think it's a a woman who did this to her, maybe it was even her mom, we don't know. Uh, but I think that there is definitely a possible queer reading where Allison, uh, where Allison got kicked out of her house this night. That's very possible. That's very possible. And, and maybe, I mean, maybe it even had something to do with, um, maybe she was having a sleepover with Spencer and her being outed had something to do with whatever was going on at that sleepover. I mean, there are definitely some vibes and implications, I would even say, later in this episode about the nature of Spencer and Allison's relationship. Well, yeah, and if if Veronica is feeling like that there is a queerness about Spencer now that Spencer is here in Radley, uh, whether it's, you know, queerness in terms of, uh, you know, maybe not being straight or whether it's queerness just in being not the Spencer that Veronica is expecting to see. Uh, I think that there is definitely a similar vibe of Allie exhibiting some queer behavior yes. uh, in this, like that, that is what triggers Veronica to have this flashback. Right. Well, and even the image of Allison in Radley, I mean, I think that there's, one could easily see Radley as the place where queer people get dumped. You know, inconvenient, inconvenient queer folks get dumped at Radley. Um, and the fact that Spencer imagines Allison later in this episode, I think is very telling. Well, look at who's been in Radley. Mona has been in Radley. Charlotte has been raised in Radley. Spencer yes. is now in Radley. I mean... There's, yeah, there's definitely some evidence for it. And I feel like that is yet another reason to feel like this outward bound program of True North that Maya got sent to was also like one of those places. It was not necessarily uh, just because she was doing pot, that it may have been like just a place that you send uh, these queers to until, you know, until they come back a little bit different. So is our new theory that Marianne Cavanaugh was a lesbian? Oh, I love that theory. I think that it could, uh, I, I think that it could certainly be true. Actually, it would make so much sense if Toby's mom was a lesbian because of how understanding he was with Emily. True. Oh, I love that idea. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Okay. New headcanon. <laughs> <laughs> 
my goodness. Um, in the present, Veronica says uh, that she did tell the police uh, about this incident, but she did not voice her own conclusion that the tussle had been with Jason uh, based on wanting to protect the secret of Peter having, uh, you know, an unknown and possibly murderous child. If news about Jason's paternity got out, it would be her family breaking down in the middle of the night. Upon questioning, uh, she says that she no longer thinks Jason did it, but she is starting to question others. And then she asks Spencer point blank, was Toby not who they thought he was? Yeah, which it's said in this sort of weird coded way, but it sounds like Veronica is speculating that Toby physically abused and or murdered Allison and may have physically abused Spencer, which is um, a really heavy idea and one that nobody really seems concerned enough about. Oh, well, I mean, Spencer basically told the liars multiple times that she thought Toby was going to kill her and no one was concerned enough about that. I actually think that there's, like, the liars have been telling Spencer, uh, you know, they were telling her in the visit, and people are telling her consistently in this episode, uh, it wasn't Toby's body, Toby is not dead, and Spencer is really steadfast. Even though Spencer knows about A and knows about, you know, the way that A manipulates them, Spencer is really steadfast in believing that even though she didn't see his face, that Toby is in fact dead. And I think there is a reading of this where we have to assume... Spencer on some level wants Toby to be dead. She wants this chapter to be concluded and she wants the threat that Toby represents to, to be gone from her life. Oh, I can completely see that. And it, it, um, it bums me out that that's not more explicitly called out in the narrative. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I, I feel like it's definitely there. Oh, I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, so Caleb, thankfully, is the one putting Hannah's necklace on her, um, at, back over at, um, at, at, let's see, this is at the grill, right? This dinner? I, I don't know. It seems that a, a, like a slightly more down market diner, but that could be what the grill is like this week. It's hard to say. <laughs> it's very hard to know. Um, this is the corner where Toby would read Catcher in the Rye performatively. Um, When Uncle Daddy Jamie walks back in, having just been fired, he has to go down to the foundry to clear this mess up with the bell. This storyline seems like it will never end. (laughs) It truly does. And I also just want to say that not only is Pastor Ted a bad manager because he was having Ella try to reach out to Ashley and then talk to Hannah about all this, but he also doesn't even have a face-to-face conversation with Jamie. He just calls and talks to him over the phone about this $8,000 bell that has gone missing. I, I'm i not impressed. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. It's Nobody is handling this situation very well. Everybody's very, very bent out of shape about this, as Hannah will later refer to it, hot bell. Which, like, <laughs> I don't know where Hannah got that phraseology, but I like it. Yeah, yeah, I I do too. Back at Radley, uh, Spencer is now holding the game. She's hiding the game board uh, beneath her mattress and pulling it out to study at night. Uh, She discovers a star marking and seems like she will go on a mission to figure out how to get to it and what it leads to. Yes, yes. Um, It is time for some Candy Striper Liars. 
Uh, the liars are going down into the morgue, uh, as they often do. Um, their plan doesn't really seem to go beyond Hannah's phone will take the picture, so Arya is to text Emily as lookout. Um, Hannah, though, is still pretty bent out of shape about this Uncle Daddy business. This is where she has the great line, where do you sell a hot bell anyway? Arya is happy to entertain this uh, little sort of um, choose-your-own-adventure here, but Emily is, uh, is not having it. Uh, finally, she prods Hannah to go into the morgue. And this is a really interesting scene, I feel, because there we've seen them at the morgue before. But to me, this scene felt more spooky and sad than some of the other morgue scenes. And I definitely think that it's because there's the Toby concern. But I also had this thought that I don't know if you've had this experience where it's like there's certain things that you did as a kid or a young adult that seemed completely normal. And then as you got older, you sort of realized how like weird and fucked up they were. Like the context of adulthood, you were like this was like a weird thing or like this was like a weird way that somebody treated me or spoke to me or whatever. I kind of feel like that's what the liars are experiencing here. Like they are a little, just a little bit older and kind of recognizing like, it's really weird that we're down here in the morgue picking through the these corpses, trying to find our dead friend. Well, yeah. And last time they were sneaking into the morgue in these outfits, they were there to steal files. They weren't sure. there to actually go looking at the bodies uh, and Emily has to look at multiple bodies to try and find the one that they're going to be snapping a picture of. Uh, Aria, meanwhile, they keep making her the lookout despite the fact that like, it is a general mismatch between that job and her entire skill set. But you know, you, you do you liars. Uh, I know that Emily's options are kind of limited. Like, Arya's talking about melting down the hot bell, and Emily's like, I don't care about bells, and Hannah's like, I smell dead people, and no one is being very helpful here. Uh, but boy, they are really, uh, they're really having a, a hard time. Emily, in particular, uh, really seems to be determined to get to the bottom of this, like, because yes. of her, you know, she's very invested in both the Toby plotline and the Spencer plotline in this episode, while the other liars are on the hot bell uh, Malcolm situation beats. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, so, yeah, Hannah smells dead people. She's freaking out. Um, they Hannah kind of starts monologuing about bodies becoming stale loaves of bread when all is said and done, while Emily is, like, picking through these corpses. Um, they find this one bag uh, that Emily insists isn't Toby, while Hannah helpfully suggests that they just look for the tattoo. No need to look at the face. Um, Arya, of course, has gotten distracted and walked off. She nearly misses an appearance by Redcoat, who she sort of lackadaisically uh, chases into the elevator. Emily and Hannah unzip um, this, this nameless body bag, finding an alley mask over the body, which they quickly tear off. There's an anonymous white dude laying here who, for a second, I was like, is this Miles Corwin? But I don't think it is. No, no. I think that this is too young to be Miles Corwin. Yeah, and maybe not as angular. Um, but they kind of flip out and, and they all they all run out together. Yes, uh, that that was really that was a good uh, it was a good scare. And I had actually forgotten about that. I had forgotten that they were going to find a body with an Allison mask on it. I have a question. I agree. I have a question for you. Were you slightly tiring of the Hannah is 
like of the Hannah and Emily dynamic in this episode. Like I loved the two of them together and I really enjoyed the scene of them in the bedroom earlier. But I feel like the whole thing of Hannah being so like unhelpful and kind of inappropriate and Emily just constantly like kind of shutting her down and yelling at her to help. I was like, I was growing slightly weary of it by this scene. Yeah, I I would definitely agree with that because I can understand, like, I understand what's going on with the other liars where like, it's like Pam even I think has a line where she says like, it's really hard to see a friend in that much distress. And I understand that maybe Aria is having a hard time looking at it straight on. Uh, and so she's like absorbing herself in, you know, the other show that she's on. That's just a wacky rom-com that now has this guest star of the fake son. Uh, but Hannah, I feel like, especially because when they were in Radley, Hannah was the only one really treating Spencer like she's still Spencer. Uh, I really feel like Hannah uh, acting so unconcerned and unhelpful, uh, not only about Spencer, but to a situation that Emily is deeply invested in feels weird to me. Yeah. It's, it's like, they can't, they can't quite get a grip on like, who's the supporting character and who's the lead of these particular missions or something. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree. And it could even just be that Hannah does not take orders from Emily as well as she takes orders from Spencer. Well, there's a fanfic premise in there somewhere. <laughs> I think Hannah enjoys taking orders from Spencer. <laughs> Just a little theory. Well, like, but that Hannah has, like, a more natural, like, she's used to it. Like, she's used to Spencer telling them all what to do. Um, she kind of jumps when Spencer says jump in a way that, like, Emily has to, like, say it several times and, like, then, like, kind of hiss it in a mean voice before (laughs) Hannah's like, whoa, okay. Yeah, it's almost like, like, Spencer's, like, the mom and, but, like, mom's gone out of town and dad has to be in charge and, like, the kids are used to dad just being fun and so they're, like, not really listening as well as they normally do. Yeah, yeah, I think that that is, I think that that is the dynamic that's going on right now. Yeah, yeah. Also, uh, Hannah's also, bottom confirmed. <laughs> also, shout out to Aria, who doesn't text them when she first hears a weird noise that she wanders off to investigate, and also doesn't text them when she first sees Redcoat in the mirror, nor when she chases Redcoat to the elevator. She actually doesn't text them that someone is there until whoever's there has gone. Yeah, and she seems just sort of. Like, her, her attitude is just sort of like, huh. Like, she doesn't really seem that freaked out. Like, she's just like, this is curious. <laughs> I like that person's coat. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, at Radley, the next morning, Spencer is quizzing Eddie about who played this board game with Mona. Uh, he kind of hints at a very cozy relationship between Ren and Mona, And Spencer asks him, you know, what's the deal? What's this tension between Eddie and Wren? And then corrects herself to call Wren Dr. Kingston, uh, which is a a nice note. Uh, She asks Eddie if he himself was behind the trouble with the visitor's passes. And when he denies it, she asks if it was Wren. Eddie tells her to trust her instincts and his say that ever since Wren got there, 
he hasn't been around for the right reasons. Uh, he tells Spencer to take her pill, and she does, but after he leaves, we see her palm it and squirrel it away with the others in her pillowcase. Yeah, I, I this is another moment that solidified for me how much I like Eddie. Um, the way that I just really like his energy, the way he comes in the room and he's like, hi, sunshine. They just, he like, he's just real with her. And the way that he tells her to trust her instincts is great. Um, and like, I just, I, this guy feels like he's a decent person. <laughs> well, and he's really like, he's really kind of a good uh, yin to Ren's yang. Like, Eddie is not being flirtatious with her. Uh, he's keeping it, you know, friendly but professional. Uh, Eddie is not making any, like, like, Ren is so, like, he's so charming. And he's so, like, sort of upper crust. And uh, Eddie isn't. You know, Eddie is, like, an orderly. He's doing a lot of grunt work around the place. But he's able to put his finger on something that a lot of people miss about Ren uh, because Ren is hard to pin down. Like, it's hard to point to one thing and say, like, this is what makes him suspicious. This is what makes him uh, somebody that you should keep an eye on. But Eddie just really points out something that is at the heart of Ren's character, which is he doesn't seem to be here for the right reasons. Like, whatever Ren is doing you should always kind of check and question what his actual motivation might be. Right. And and there's a sense that, you know, Eddie's probably been, been pushed around by guys like Ren all his life, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then also like Eddie is not somebody who's going to be glamored by Ren the way that um, somebody like Spencer might be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. So uh, Hannah is studying outside when Caleb walks up. We get this throwaway line that Hannah is cramming for algebra, which algebra in your senior year, huh, Hannah? I have some questions. Um, Caleb is upset about his dad and he really wants to stick it to the man. He doesn't get why Jamie is getting the runaround. Uh, Hannah is really quiet and Caleb makes some kind of mean remarks to her about how she talks all the time and has an opinion on everything. Um, He lists off some examples, but then Hannah brings up the whole thing with the bill, with the dice, and how uh, she's pretty sure that Uncle Jamie stole it. I am so tired of hearing about this $5 bill with the wacky dice on it. I cannot even tell you. Uh, But Caleb seems to take this information in, and uh, that's going to kind of inform the rest of this episode. Oh my God. I hate Caleb so much in this scene. Hannah, first of all, tells him that she's studying for a test. If she's taking algebra in her senior year, this is obviously a subject she is having a struggle with. Uh, but he just still decides that he's going to dump all of his baggage on her in this moment with like no concern for whatever she's up to. Then he like goads her into like, he goes and insults her into giving him her opinion uh, and then he gets pissed about what the opinion is. So I feel like this is, uh, I feel like this is some very bad behavior on Caleb's part, but it's it's kind of par for the course with where he's at right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I very much agree. I very much agree. Ugh. Um, 
Oh boy, uh, Arya is picking little Malcolm up from his karate class, but he is not there. She asks a random woman uh, working at the dojo where he is, and uh, this extra says that he was picked up 10 minutes ago. Arya is at first relieved that Maggie got him, but the uh, dojo employee cheerfully overshares that it wasn't Maggie. It was a family friend, Arya Montgomery. Boy, good thing Arya's not a kidnapper. Uh, but at this point, like from this moment on, Arya knows Malcolm is not at karate and is not with her and is like seven years old. This is the time to start sounding all the alarms. Uh, instead, Arya goes over to Malcolm's karate kindergarten cubby that has like a picture of his face on it uh, and finds a flyer for the carnival that A was looking at on the computer so recently. Now, I would just like to say that if you were interested in kidnapping a small child, uh, these helpful karate cubbies have like the names and pictures of all these small children. And obviously their pickup and information security procedures are somewhat lax. Yeah, Arya, Arya makes some weird choices here. Her whole decision to be like, I am going to downplay this. Like, I think this is what she gets from being the child of Ella and Byron. Like this is this is and and the the girlfriend of Prezra. Like all of these relationships have conditioned her to react the way that she does in this situation, which is like it's like that thing of like when you when you're curious, you know, when you're like, how would a person react in a crisis? You know, I think about that sometimes. Like, how would this person react in a crisis? This is how Arya reacts in a crisis, and it is badly. <laughs> really badly like she doesn't even as far as we see ask this employee to describe I... what Arya looks like yes a, so, a simple question. yeah I, I am not impressed uh, it's like there there's an overreaction there's an underreaction and then there's just like I mean she's practically like comatose in terms of her inappropriate level of non-panic here it is really Really weird, especially because this is arguably one of the most sinister things A has done is child kidnapping. Like, this is really bad. Yes. So this, this, uh, yes, this is a very sinister A move that um, Arya does not react appropriately to and will continue to not react appropriately to. As we cut over to the cre a creepy carnival puppet show that is like something out of a david lynch nightmare um malcolm is watching this with total just he's just loving it he's eating it up um he's also eating some popcorn and who else is enjoying this popcorn but the gloved hand of a yikes what a creepy shot seeing the black gloved hand do everyday things like eat popcorn is super creepy yeah it's somehow worse than when a is like ominously cutting flowers for a you know deepest sympathies arrangement agreed agreed um right and then that just picks up with um aria marching frantically but not really frantically enough through the creepy carnival she weirdly bumps into ella who um it, like chooses this moment to try to lecture aria once again about 
how um, Arya is making a mistake and that she's going to be the one who winds up getting hurt. Um, Arya is, is, you know, her eyes are darting around wildly looking for Malcolm. She thinks she sees him with A and a balloon. Um, rather than calling the police, she just kind of bounces off to deal with this on her own. Oh, Arya. Yeah, this is bad. Like, I, I think it's really silly that Ella, who is like, she's not so worried about that missing church bell that she can't spare some time to wander around a carnival alone in hopes of intercepting Arya for a mother-daughter chat. Like, that's weird. Um, but also, like, here is someone popping up who could assist Arya in this search. <laughs> and yes. Arya is still, like, not not accepting the help. Uh, and then, like, she's just, you know, social distancing doesn't exist yet uh, in the world of this carnival. So, of course, like, the crowd is pressing around too thickly with all kinds of, like, menacing-looking clowns for Arya to get to where she thinks Malcolm is. Yeah, it's just, it's just bad. It's just bad all around. Ugh, ugh, ugh. Uh, back at Radley, Dr. Kingston, I presume, is getting ready to leave. Uh, he's at the desk signing charts when Eddie gets up and says he's going to drops something off to the patient in room 217. Ren admonishes him, saying that Spencer needs her rest. He can give her the book tomorrow. Uh, Eddie says he's off tomorrow, and Ren offers to give it to her instead. When Eddie looks at him resentfully, Ren asks if they're having the same problem again, which is very interesting phrasing. Uh, is the problem that both Eddie and Ren are interested in the same young patient? Is the problem that Eddie doesn't respect Ren's authority because he doesn't trust him? Is the problem something else? Uh, there just seems to be a lot of, uh, there are a lot of possibilities here that are never really filled out. Yeah, I, I feel like it's, I feel like it's that um, Eddie is not respecting or questioning Ren's authority. Um, and I think this scene is really interesting because, you know, later we'll find out that presumably during this whole part, Spencer is at the carnival, right? And so yes. the idea that Ren is potentially covering for her by not letting Eddie go to her room is is a really interesting one, I think. And it's also an interesting idea that Eddie might be suspicious that Spencer is going to be sneaking out. And so when he says he's going to go give her the book, that too could be a cover for wanting to go check and see if she's there. Right. Right. And that maybe Eddie, you know, Eddie might not know about the A game, but he might have a beat on the fact that Ren is sneaking girls in and out of Radley for nefarious reasons and um, want to do something about it. I also think I can't take credit for this. This was something that I think the bros watch PLL two podcast pointed out when they covered this episode. Um, but I think it's a real, it's really smart. I'm going to, I'm going to praise PLL for smart storytelling here. Everybody clutch your pearls. But I think it's really smart storytelling that we cut back to Radley. And so it feels like we're cutting back to Spencer. But in fact, this scene is just between Ren and Eddie because, of course, Spencer is at the carnival. Oh, that's a great point. That's a great cut. And this is another thing that I like about the way that the Spencer reveal is set up. Um, yes. That we're, we're seeing things that don't all fall into place. Uh, until the very, like, the second to last scene of the episode. Agreed. Agreed. Um, yeah, and then I think, don't we just cut back to Arya at the carnival? Like, mm -hmm. looking around frantically for Malcolm? 
Uh, yeah, she like chases the light up balloon, and then it turns out to belong to a non Malcolm small child. A no, a non Malcolm child. Um, shall I take this? Do you want me to take this next scene since that little bit was so short? Yes, unless you feel you're just totally maxed out on Uncle Daddy, in which case I can take it, and you can get Arya at the carnival some more. Oh, I can, I can deal with it. I can deal with Uncle Daddy. Um, although this scene it perplexes me a little bit. Caleb is trying to get a hold of. Jamie um, and dealing with it by being kind of snotty to Hannah as is his usual mode Um, the way that this scene is the beginning part of this scene is filmed it feels like they're like about to skip town or something Caleb and Hannah like he's like you got the car packed up and she's like yeah I just have to grab my thing and it's kind of frantic and I'm like are they going to Ravenswood here like what's going on Um, I think that it's supposed to be that they're either that they're like going to go look for Jamie but it's just what? Oh, what? I disagree. I think that Hannah is just getting a bunch more stuff to take back over to Emily's house. Oh, yeah. I guess. I guess so. That's probably true. But it. it she I don't needs know. her I, English book, which it seems like that would be a weird thing to take if you were going to go on a manhunt. That's true. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. I just. Yeah. Something about this beginning of this scene was confusing to me. Anyway, Jamie is here. He shows up at the front door. Um, and he's like playing this pretty casual. He talks about how he's been trying to track people down and find out about this bell. Caleb goes in on Jamie, telling him that they are done talking. Um, and he starts, you know, basically saying like he, you know, he he shouldn't have shouldn't have trusted him. This was all a mistake. Jamie makes a really cruel remark about Caleb forgiving his mother because, um, you know, she's wealthy and that it's a lot easier for. Uh, Caleb to discount Jamie because of of his sort of um, you know his his financial standing um, and then Tyler Blackburn gets to do some real capital A acting as he yells at Jamie about his childhood bringing up his experiences in foster care and basically all of the evidence that he has to um, to discount Jamie as any kind of reliable guy or worthy father figure uh, Jamie doesn't apologize for any of that um saying that he wouldn't believe him either and leaving um and yeah i don't feel like he does anything in this scene that comes across as redeemable oh i totally agree in fact i feel like in this scene we're we're getting like a nature versus nurture uh ruling on caleb Uh, because Jamie is so shitty when he's like, you forgave your mom because she gave you a fancy car and you're not forgiving me because I am poor and I drive a pickup truck. And it's just like, cry me a river, dude. Like, you also lied to Caleb this whole life about who you were and your fake sibling. And you're like, I I mean, there's just this relationship is so tentative uh, that Jamie's behavior seems really really out of line oh completely and also like i mean caleb caleb had an incredibly traumatic childhood and it doesn't seem like it seems like jamie has been so preoccupied with his own um his own situation that he hasn't really thought about like what caleb went through or 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 he's only thought about it through the prism of his own experience and his own failings rather than actually putting himself into uh Caleb's shoes in any significant way and that's a hundred percent how he reacts to Caleb's monologue here is he's like 
well, in that case, I wouldn't believe me either. And hump, 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 he goes away. Like, he doesn't for a moment say, like, oh, you know, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. I hadn't considered that. I'm so sorry that that is the situation that you were in. And I would do, you know, if I could make different choices, I would do anything to, like, be the parent yes. that you needed. You know, like, he does not respond with any kind of empathy. Jamie, Uncle Daddy has clearly not done very much work at all in therapy, probably because he he's not rich and can't afford to give anybody a car. He's just <laughs> bumming around his pickup truck and his bad patterns of behavior. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, um, yeah, he's, he's not, he's not coming across well here. No, for sure he is not. Ugh, uh, so Aria is on the phone with Emily, wondering if she should call the police. Like, not, she's, she's like polling her friends, she's just calling around, seeing who's available to maybe like, you know, uh, go over this with her. Emily thinks yes, except maybe no, because right now he's alive and safe, except for, you know, being kidnapped. Uh, what if going to the cops might make A hurt him? This is not helpful, but Emily does offer to meet Aria at the police station in 10 minutes. Uh, as Aria starts walking there, she sees a sign for the puppet show, which is Faust, not so much kid appropriate. Uh, she walks in and finds Malcolm there all by himself, happily eating an ice cream cone. Uh, he says that her friend picked him up from class and her name was Allison. Aria leads him the heck out of there as a creepy <laughs> puppet waves goodbye. <laughs> yeah, this kid isn't very sharp, is he? Like, he's just <laughs> here waiting, for, waiting for, for Faust Part 2 to start. <laughs> Faust is like, I have a lot to say actually about this puppet show. Like Faust is like completely not child appropriate, despite the fact that like everybody in the audience was a child. And later when we see the tickets for Faust, like the tickets are like the quality of like Broadway tickets. They're like, they're, they're like, they have like a fancy screen print, like of the like logo of this particular performance. Whereas everything else, this carnival is super shitty. Like this particular puppet performance is like a, a like off Broadway level, uh, an off Broadway level, like ticketing and execution here. Despite the fact that it's only being performed for children and it's a show that is wildly inappropriate for them. I'm guessing that Charlotte bankrolled just the Faust puppet show portion of this carnival. Oh my gosh, that is such that is such a good call. I could definitely see that being the case. I really like the idea of Charlotte like in the dollhouse, like in the like half-finished dollhouse, like auditioning various puppeteers for this role or like like working on different uh, like having people come in and like create different puppets and she's like no not creepy enough make it creepier <laughs> oh my gosh um so i am actually i am quite familiar with uh with this particular i, I mean I, I guess i don't know about the puppet interpretation of it uh but the like faust as a play uh is something that i know a lot about because there was a production of it when I was in college, that was like a super scandalous English department production 
where uh, the woman who was playing Faust like practically had uh, a breakdown over playing wow. the role. It was like really very stressful and uh, and like psychologically difficult for her. And uh, the guy who was the director, uh, his main point of direction was just Faust. Faust wants to fuck everyone, <laughs> everyone. And he said that so many times. And so thinking about like those two very specific <laughs> memories of that show uh, and this like puppet, <laughs> this puppet situation for children, um, I, I feel very confused. <laughs> Was this director Prezra Fitz? No. <laughs> no, he he was not. But um I, I do think I, I do think that his uh that he was like working some things out through Faust, a hundred percent for sure. I'm getting that. I'm getting that. That is so funny. Well, also, Emily's suggestion that rather than Arya staying at the carnival, continuing to look around and calling the police, she's like, no, leave the carnival, the last place where you saw the child alive. Walk over to the police station and file a report. (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, My note on that, I don't know if you ever watched the show. My note on that was that, like, Arya and Emily have never watched The Family, which was all about this kid who gets kidnapped at a carnival and like the oh, years no. of like the years of uh, trauma and deception that ensue. So, yeah, they're they're making some they're making some very bad choices, but they're making them together. Emily even offers to meet her at the police station. Emily could file the report if it's so important <laughs> to do it in person and Arya could stay at the carnival and keep looking. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. this is this is some bad logic, but I do love the text that Arya sends Emily because at first I forgot that she lets Emily know that she found Malcolm. And I was like, it would be so Arya to not tell Emily. And like Emily thinks that there's this missing child that they have to deal with. But Emily sends this text and she's like, he's fine. I'm a basket case, which is like, yeah, probably how you'd feel after this particular situation. Uh, yeah, yeah, we get to see that text. We don't see any of the Shauna texts. Show us the Shauna texts. Release the Shauna texts. <laughs> but Emily's Shauna texts. Um, yeah, I also feel like um, they took Malcolm to the they took Malcolm to the hospital for that little chin injury. I feel like they should maybe take him to the hospital after he's been kidnapped and like possibly drugged. Like the way that he's sitting there is. Maybe it's a sugar crash, but he also, like, is has maybe been drugged by A. So, like, I feel like uh, maybe taking him home and being like, everything's fine is probably not the way to go about this. Oh, yeah. Do you think he has been drugged because Spencer's been squirreling away her medication? Well, and there's also a line Prezra has later where he's like, Malcolm only talked about puppets and then he fell right asleep. So I kind of think that um, that Spencer might have drugged him. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Emily is here at the police station. Uh, there's no Aria, but there is a Pam who is not happy that Emily is here and seems very tense. Pam has to work late. Emily can't be here. She can't talk. There is a box of missing persons files being hefted around, and there's a definite air of something is wrong here at the police station. Mm. Uh, oh, my God. It's here. It's here. Spencer is sneaking around Radley in her burlap bedsheet midsummer nightgown. She's barefoot. She creeps down to the basement where she finds Allison 
looking lovely and playing vinyl records like a vision. Was this the one your mom likes, Allie asks? Your mom, Spencer replies. And this is a nice mixed family message right here. Uh, Allison convinces Spencer to dance. Pretend it's practice for your first boy-girl dance party. No one ever tells you that practice is so much better than the real thing, Allison says. Ahem, like kissing Emily. Um, they dance, they waltz, it's beautiful. Uh, Spencer asks if it was Toby who hit her, and Allison says girls fight much dirtier than boys. She's lucky she didn't leave a scar. Uh, Spencer wants to know where the star on Mona's map is, and then Allison points her to a hobby horse with a hollow neck, where Spencer finds the nurse's cap that Mona used, an ID badge with Mona's picture, identifying her as Allie D, hilarious, and a visitor badge for C.C. Drake, authorized by Wren Kingston. Wren, who finds Spencer with all those items in hand as he lurks in the doorway. Oh man, this scene is so fascinating. I love, um, I love, like, it's brief, but all the dialogue is perfect. Allison at one point says to Spencer something like, wasn't sixth grade the best year ever? And Spencer's like, I didn't know you in sixth grade. And Allison replies, oh honey, you didn't even know me when you knew me. Which is like, if that isn't Allison De Laurentiis in a nutshell, I don't know what is. Um, the line about, you know, no one ever tells you that the practice is so much more fun than the real thing. Obviously, there's the Emily of it all, right? But there's also like, is she talking about Spencer? Is she talking about Aria? Is she talking about Spencer and Aria? Is this an allusion to Aria's quote unquote tree climbing that was also in Spencer's fantasy and shadow play? Like, it's so, it's so interesting, like what she's referring to. And then also, I mean, there's the totally queer reading of it, but there's also the reading of like, like adulthood, like it, like Allison pretending to be an adult and playing in the world of being an, an adult was so much more fun than when she actually had to face the consequences of all of her, you know, crazy schemes and everything and the consequences of like adult male attention and things like that, um, that may have gotten her killed. Like, I just think it's, that's such an interesting line. And there's also the, you know, another reading of it is like Spencer's been kind of playing the part of Radley patient and it's like the the practice of that maybe is so much more fun than the reality of if this is where Spencer has to live. If Spencer is confirmed, you know, capital C crazy um, and and has to live out her days like this. Uh, so I just I love that there's so many ways that that message can be read. Um, the so so we you know, yeah, Spencer has found the badge and Ren walks in. Um, Allison, of course, has disappeared. This is a moment, I don't know about you, I, I really feel like this is Allie, this is a, an Allie fantasy. This is not This is not a time of Allison actually showing up. It's so interesting that you say that because if you would ask me before I rewatched the episode this time, I would say, I would have said, oh yes, 100% the ghost waltz is a fantasy that's happening inside Spencer's head. And I, I still mostly think that, but I also think that when you look at the way that it's shot, Allie is not in a fuzzy Instagram filter here, uh, like she is in a lot of the scenes where it's supposed to be ambiguous. And we know that Ren has been sneaking people in and out. So I definitely do think that there is still like one interpretation of this, at least, where maybe it is Allison who's there with her. 
I yeah, I think it's possible. I think the fact that Spencer name checks that she hasn't slept in three days tips oh, me yeah. more into the scale of like feeling like this is an alley fantasy. But you know what you never get? You never get a shot of Spencer just creepily waltzing alone. This is true. I mean, I like that you can read it both ways. I kind of like reading it from the alley uh, fantasy from the standpoint of um, Spencer needs to find this. in The only way that Spencer feels like she can access this information is through Allison. Um, similar, although then I guess you could say, well, but isn't that similar to Allison showing up when Arya has been drugged and sort of giving her access to that information. And that's also very ambiguous about whether or not Allison actually showed up. So yeah, I like the ambiguity of it for sure. Yeah. And, and I also like that we've had these readings of like queer Allison and queer Spencer in this episode. So I think it could also be like Spencer recognizing like the ways that her queerness is reflected in Allison and in Allison's experience and how much did Spencer know or understand about Allison and Emily? How much does Spencer yeah. know and understand about herself um, yeah. and maybe her own relationship with Allison? So I think that there is a lot of work going on on a lot of different levels, but I also think we've just seen Spencer have this very intense scene with her mother, like the parent that, that is like raising her uh, but we've also seen that Spencer is largely unparented uh, and is kind of like, you know, she's like half Athena, half wolf. She's just like, you know, kind of like created into the world and having to find her own way. And I think that Allison is a person who like really took it upon herself to show the liars how to exist in the world. Like we just had that scene where she was saying to Spencer, I'm leaving these diaries behind so that you'll know, like, you'll know what to do when I'm gone. Um, yeah. And so I think that there are a lot of ways in which, like, Spencer is a creature of Allison's creation. And I've been reading um, a Glennon Doyle book this week, uh, Untamed. And there's a part in it where she says, like, we become an adult when we choose to disappoint our parents instead of ourselves. And I mm -hmm. think that there's, like, it's interesting that, like, Spencer has just had this intense scene with her mom and now she's having this like intense fantasy sequence with Allison, who is like another person that Spencer is kind of going to have to leave behind uh, if she's going to like grow up. That's so fascinating. You know, as, as you were saying that I was thinking about how I so often see the parallels as between Emerson and Vandermeeren but I definitely think that there are a lot of parallels between Mona, Hannah, and Allison Spencer in terms of that I think Allison is sort of guiding and molding Spencer into this version of herself, much in the same way that Mona sort of saw that within uh, Hannah and was sort of trying to guide and mold it out of her. Yeah, and that's a great point because in this episode, who is now trying to mold Spencer into something Mona. So yes. yeah, there's, oh my gosh, that plays, that plays really well. Well, also that line about, you know, didn't your mother have this, your mother. And then Allison has some line about, I left that at your house. I always, I left so many things there. It's like once another clue about the, the breadcrumbs that Allison has left Spencer. And, you know, it's, it's just so fascinating. Like 
that Spencer is always chasing these breadcrumbs. And the idea, especially if if Spencer had been A, and in this episode is, you know, an A on the A-team, it's like the idea that those breadcrumbs would eventually lead her back to herself is just mm. so fascinating. Um, I also, I took the note during this scene that I really feel like at this point in the writing, the writers had no idea who A was, like who, which character was going to be A. I feel like they had decided at this point that A... The a, that A as a character was going to have grown up in Radley um, because there are so many, you know, we're in the children's ward and it's super creepy and it's like we keep sort of coming back to this, the creepiness of it. And this, even in this episode in particular, there's so much about childhood and the things that happen in your childhood sort of molding you into adulthood. Um, I really feel like they had decided at this point, who knows who A is, but A grew up in Radley. Um, yeah, that's, that's a... That's a great, great call out. Also, this was like another element of like my theory that Ren could be a we knew that his dad grew up in a mental like his dad was in a mental institution as Ren was growing up, uh, which is an interesting parallel between Ren and Toby, considering that Toby had a parent who was in Radley. And Ren and Spencer, considering that Spencer unknowingly had a parent who was in in Radley as well. So true. Yeah. Um, so anyway, <laughs> um, Ran walks in and um, he he is like kind of seems kind of um, kind of antagonist. Like there's a, it's a little bit of a sense of danger here um, around what what he's thinking or what you know what he's going to do um, with Spencer here. Yeah. Um, yeah, a sense of menace for sure. A sense of menace, absolutely. Um, let's see. Do you want me to take this Prezra? Yes. Okay. Yes, go right ahead. Okay. So Prezra is on the phone outside while Arya watches in horror. He walks in and tells her that she's Malcolm's new hero. Malcolm had a blast. He mumbled something about puppets and then fell asleep, which apparently nobody was troubled by um this is clearly really the last straw and we see it dawning on Arya that she like she can't handle this anymore she tells him that she doesn't think she can do this anymore somebody is going to wind up hurt and she'd rather it be him yes Arya this is absolutely the right instinct of course he doesn't hear her at all offering a patronizing I've had those days it'll all be better tomorrow and a kiss on the cheek he is just not hearing what she is saying here at all. Um, he offers to drive her home. She says that the walk will be good for her. And she heads out, starting to cry. I, this is actually a great Aria scene. Like, this is, this is the, the Aria that I wish had uh, carried over more throughout the series. Because this is Aria actually making a decision and calling a shot in the Prezer relationship rather than just reacting and being wounded. Um, and yeah, it's, it's really gratifying to see her walk away from him here. Oh, I completely agree. Especially because he has not been really present in any of their conversations. He is constantly taking calls from Maggie and like dealing with other stuff and other people. He's never really looking directly at Aria and interacting and listening to her. He hasn't for like, since before he left, since before he left to go find his son. Um, so it's, it's long overdue for them to have this reckoning. And also I think that this is really 
uh, again, good character work in this episode that Arya, she has not so far been able to make this decision because it's the best decision for herself. But seeing the stakes in this situation, where A has like kidnapped uh, Prezra's fake son, uh, seeing that the stakes are now involving like a defenseless kid, like Arya is able to do for other people what she's not able to do for herself. Right, right. Which is, you know, I think in a way similar to Spencer, like she'd rather she'd rather break her own heart than somebody else's. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, but Prezra's terrible. He's not listening. Uh, he, like, has that moment where he's like, oh, Malcolm, if you keep spoiling him with ice cream and puppet shows, you'll just have to be in charge of his child care forever. Ha, ha, ha. Um, you know, <laughs> what a totally hilarious joke there. Ugh. Um, man. Uh, it's, it's, and it's so, like, the contrast between his clueless face and Arya's, like, heartbroken, this is really the last time I'm walking out face uh, is is very extreme. Yeah. Oh, completely. He's just, like, ready to, you know, dig back into his dinner. Yeah. Uh, Spencer is demanding answers from Ren. Uh, how many times did Cece visit Mona? Uh, Ren tells a tale where he almost got suspended for authorizing it. Mona was under a no visitation restriction at the time. But Cece was desperate to see her. She wanted to help heal the psychic wounds inflicted by Allison. Cece herself got kicked out of university after a prank that Allison pulled uh, at a frat party. But she came out on the other side and could be a positive role model for Mona. Spencer asks how Cece even knew that Mona was in Radley. And Wren says she knew because Melissa Hastings called and told her. Uh-huh. Misi. Case closed. Yeah, obviously, like, most of this ends up being retconned because of, like, everything that falls apart with the Charlotte reveal and all of that. Um, But there are some really interesting threads being set up here. And I I feel like it's really sort of a shame that Ren's ultimate villainy is tied to Alex Drake, of all people, when there's so much potential just with the characters he's already connected to. Uh, throughout the series that it just feels sort of it's another hat it's yet another hat it's a Hastings hat to be like oh he fell in love with Alex Drake and did all her bidding and then was turned into an eternity stone and it's like couldn't it just be enough that he like has connections to all these other people oh man I'm no I'm gonna say something that it's it surprises me like I just had this thought and this feeling okay um, and I I'm here we go. Uh, there is something about Ren and Alex Drake that I like and that I feel is kind of like uh, like sad and, and poetic uh, and really, really twisted, which is that Ren is so obsessed with Spencer. Like, he is so, like, in love with her that he like he'll be with this like mirror image version of her because he can pretend that it is her. Like he's, he's so into her that it doesn't even matter if it's her anymore. Um, and yeah. there's, there's a part of that that I think is like, that says really interesting things about his soon to be diamond dust character. Yeah. I mean, Ren is really, 
little women's lorry when it comes to the Hastings family. I mean, in a, like the most, the most extreme twisted version, you know, he'll do whatever he can to claw his way into that family. Right. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I get, I, it's really going to, well, we will get there in due time, but it's, 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 it's hard for me to really get on board with any part of Alex Drake. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Uh, the only saving grace being like it meant that Spencer and Toby didn't sleep together in the last season. Like that's the one, the one shining star. Um, but I can definitely see that. Um, yeah, it's it certainly feels far away from where we are in cozy little season three, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and I mean nothing that is said in this scene, like none of all of the seemingly important information about how Mona got in and out and what was going on with CC, like none of this is going to hold, like, especially like it's almost embarrassing and cringeworthy to watch this given like all of the like weird, uh, weird, like whiting out that they did as, as the show went on and like the lack of satisfactory explanations for anything. So, yeah, I mean, like, Ren is menacing here. Uh, he seems really suspicious, but all of this uh, turns into nonsense, especially as we were talking about uh, before we started recording tonight, this girl who went down the stairs at the frat party, uh, a hat on a hat on a hat. Ian pushed her. Wait, no, Ren has a story where Cece said that Allison pushed her, but Cece got blamed for it, and neither of them are telling you about it, but Ren is... And later on, Hannah is going to have a psychic dream that it was actually Noel Kahn. Did this girl die? Did she just get really injured? Is she Schrodinger's plot point, not dead nor alive until there's like a particular sequence of events where she needs to be? Um, There's just, you know, there's a lot going on here. Yeah, it's, yes. Yeah. And the girl doesn't matter. Like she's just this, she's just this, this phantom um we're gonna have to keep an eye on it when we get to hannah's psychic dream uh in the final seasons as to whether that girl died or not we (laughs) yeah yeah we 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 definitely will um we definitely will also i I, and i mentioned this earlier and, and i definitely i was talking about it before we 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 started recording but i feel like it's this weird thing where like thematically a lot of the themes that are that are coursing through this episode end up kind of mattering like the idea of a familial connection between Alice and Spencer the idea of um, a villainous character growing up in Radley the idea of Ren having like nefarious connections to some women um, that are sort of floating around uh, at this point like it's it's all these sort of vague hazy themes that do matter but like the actual plot logistics that are being um, described in this episode completely don't matter. You know, it's very weird. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. So Pam walks into Emily's darkened room. She's very shaky and nervous and wants to make sure that Emily is alone. She quickly asks Emily to keep what she has to tell her from her friends, grabbing Emily's phone um, Pam, you really should know by now that you cannot tell Emily anything without it getting to her friends in like 30 <laughs> seconds. It doesn't matter if you take her phone. Also, Hannah's living there. So it's like, come on, Pam. 
Um, Pam tells Emily that they have now found a body that matches Toby's description uh, in the place where Spencer described. There's too much trauma to the face to confirm if it is Toby, but they're going to uh, run some tests or something, and they should know more by tomorrow. Pam, this is a bad call. You should not be telling Emily this right now because this is a situation where, like, there's you have no information you have no real information to offer her all you are going to do is create more anxiety spin the liars up even more make the situation worse she says that they're going to find more information tomorrow morning wait until tomorrow morning like talk to emily then i know that pam has promised to keep emily in the loop about this but i really feel like um this is a case where like waiting 12 more hours would make all the difference oh a hundred a hundred and ten percent agree uh this is like another example of like the liars should not like the, the moms if they know that they have to try to get their daughters to swear up and down that they're not going to tell their friends it's probably a sign that you can't trust them to not tell their friends uh and also yeah. <laughs> this is like I, I feel like when emily uh when pam takes emily's phone physically from her this is like if you feel like you need to snoop on your partner's phone, like there are obviously some other trust issues going on. Like if you feel like you have to physically remove the phone from Emily's hands so that she's not going to immediately text her friends again, you might want to just refrain from sharing this information. Exactly. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's, I really think it's a thing where like Pam feels really shaken by this and wants and like needs to tell Emily as much as she's trying to honor her promise to Emily. Yeah, I think so. And I think that this is also, we talked about uh, Ashley and Hannah and how it seemed like Hannah was maybe taking on more of an adult role in that relationship uh, because she had more experience uh, kind of steering through these waters of police investigations. And I think this is a moment where, Pam is really treating Emily more like an adult and less like her teen daughter uh, when it's not entirely appropriate for her to do so. Yeah, this might be a case where, like, Pam needs friends. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, or Pam needs her husband. Right. Completely. Completely. Or Pam needs Barry. I mean, there are other people that she could be talking to is, is where I'm going with this. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Um... So Hannah and Caleb are drinking coffee late at night, watching the carnival pack up. Uh, He feels dumb for believing in his dad. She is as big hearted as ever. Uh, He goes to get the refills uh, when the fake church bell starts ringing. A immediately sends Hannah a message saying that's the sound of her mistake. Give A a ring when she wants the real bell back. Caleb standing behind her appears to see the message too. Yeah, uh, Hannah is so wonderfully supportive here. And, you know, Caleb starts talking about how he had been mapping out this road trip he and his dad were going to take. And Hannah is really sweetly. She's like, well, you and I could take a trip. I know it wouldn't be the same. And even though I'm mad at Caleb for most of this episode, I do like how he says that um, it would be better to take it with her because he would be taking a trip with somebody who he knows, um, you know, has his back. Uh, But what I really don't like is then in the next scene, when Hannah is showing Arya the text, uh, she says that Caleb is never going to forgive her, which seems majorly unfair because all Hannah did was tell the truth as she believed it. 
And um, it's not her fault that A manipulated this whole situation. And also, Jamie was super shitty in the scene where um, Caleb confronted him. And A didn't create that scenario. So it, it seems really unfair that Hannah would somehow be getting blamed for this situation. I agree. And I think that in addition to like the the lazy gayness of the Emily text messages situation, there's some lazy writing that's happening around the girls seemingly forgetting that anything could be an A plot. Like Hannah yeah. should have been alert to the fact that that $5 bill could have been an A shenanigan. Uh, like that's something that she should have been keeping in mind throughout this whole ordeal just as Spencer should have been keeping in mind that the, the body that she saw could also have been uh, in some way fake or a setup as well. Yeah, that's a, that's a great, that's a great point. Yeah. It's like they're having, uh, I'm trying to like amnesia. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That really it could good. use some work. It could use some work. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, Hannah has shown Aria the text and they sort of, you know, banter back and forth about like how even though their boyfriends kind of sort of know about A, there it doesn't really feel like the right move to like clue them into the extent of A's latest shenanigans. Uh, Emily bursts in just then. She seems like she's also been running and is super tearful and super panicky. Um, she reveals that they found a body where Spencer said it was. Her purse was close by. It seems like Emily just waited for Pam to leave the room and like darted out of the window and ran over here, which good work, Pam. Or I mean, good work, both of them, I guess. Like way to way to honor your promises. Uh, Yeah, uh, this is like Emily just bursting in with this information. And this also seems to be it's weird. Spencer has been saying like Toby is dead. I saw Toby's body. Like that's been a thing that Spencer has been saying for like the past two episodes. But it's so interesting that it takes Emily bursting in uh, for the other liars to really start considering that as a legitimate possibility. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's true. It's true. Oh, um, back at Radley, Spencer is in her room. She's staring out the window and then she's checking her pillowcase, which we now see contains, in addition to her meds, a black hoodie. And two, super fancy uh, premium made tickets to the Faust puppet show. We hear the voiceover, Mona saying how badly things have gone for her since Spencer turned her down on that drive up the mountain. And now we hear Spencer reply, you don't need to ask me twice, Mona. I'm in. Yes. And so Spencer, bum, bum, bum is a what do you make of this oh i love it i love dark spencer uh i love spencer kidnapping malcolm and taking him to this puppet show um i i really really enjoy uh the way that spencer is like quite literally stepping into mona's shoes and also into hannah's shoes of letting mona create who you're going to be Uh, And whereas Hannah got turned into Allison, Mona is getting like Mona is turning Spencer into another version of herself. Yeah, it's really it's really exciting. It's. It is not 
handled the best in the next episode, I think, because the next episode is super rushed and there's a like everybody's double crossing everybody to the point where it's like, who even knows what's who's doing what? Like it gets so convoluted. Yeah, the next episode is not the square dance episode, but like in terms of the plot line, it is like switch your partners round and round. <laughs> We have no idea. Yeah, it's kind of a shame. I feel that that's the way that like Spencer being on the A team is ultimately dealt with. Like, how exciting if Spencer had been on the A team like three episodes ago or something, and we were seeing, you know, uh, like all of that coming across a few episodes. Um, and but I do like the rug pull of like Spencer's been on the A team the whole time. And it's funny, I've I've rewatched this episode a number of times, and I always forget to watch it through the lens of Spencer's been on the A-team this whole time. Yeah, it's it's a great reveal. Uh, and I feel like, uh, I just feel like it's, it's really interesting because in the very first scene of this episode, when Spencer is meeting with the liars and she says, I feel safe here. Uh, and she's talking about Radley. I think that that is such an interesting statement. And it reminds me of like the Buffy episode, Normal Again, where like you could have such extreme circumstances in your life that being uh, in a, a mental health facility where people are taking care of you and are like just really trying to like treat you and, you know, just just have you like survive in, in a day to day way and, and work on better ways to process your your stuff. Like, that is one way that someone might deal with the A situation. Like, this is a valid possible outcome yeah. that you just wind up committing yourself for, for permanent treatment for all the trauma that you've dealt with. Uh, but another very possible situation is that the only way that you feel safe is by becoming the thing that you were afraid of, which is also what Spencer is doing here. And I, I just think the layers of that are just so fascinating. I completely agree. I think those are great points. And so maybe we need to table this discussion for the next episode, but is Spencer actually on the A-team? Like, or is this all just a big trick on Mona? Is, is there any I mean, point in which Spencer is like legit A-team? I mean, who, who the fuck is on the A-team? Who even knows... Everyone who seems to join the A-team is like, psych, I just joined the A-team because I wanted to expose the A-team. Like, the A-team is not doing a great job of background checking people's motivations, in my opinion. Yet another organization suffering from severe lack of management uh, here in Rosewood. Um, but I think that, I, I mean, I think that when you look at the fact that Spencer did of kidnapping Malcolm without tipping off Arya or Emily or any of the other liars, I mean, I definitely think you'd have to say that Spencer is, I mean, actions outweigh intentions. Spencer is a member of the A-team. Oh, you heard it here first. Um, yeah, <laughs> I like that too. I, I think it's a lot more interesting if Spencer is legitimately on the A-team doing nefarious A things because she wants to rather than like, Psych, it was all a giant ploy. I kind of feel like that's the way the next episode is written. Um, but I think it's more interesting if it is a little bit 
if it is a little bit gray and if she is really um, sort of sinking into the depths more here. Well, like, to, to go with another Mad Men reference, when Don Draper is pitching for Jaguar but really talking about mistresses and he says, like, what behavior would we not forgive? Uh, I feel like what behavior would we not forgive for someone who is, like, joining the A-team, but not really, uh, like, Toby, like, pretends to be dead, uh, uh, which sends Spencer into this spiral. Uh, Spencer kidnaps a seven-year-old, which is, you know, not a, you know, that's, like, one of the worst things that A has ever done to Arya uh, in the run of the show, and it's Spencer who did it. So, I mean, I, I think that there are, uh, I think that there are a lot of things that, like, as soon as someone is like, well, I was on the A-team, but I didn't mean it, uh, that just get swept under the rug. And I, I do not necessarily think that they should be. I think you still did those things, regardless of uh, regardless yes. of how noble you tell yourself you're being. You still did them. You were still making active choices at this point. Also, I find it very interesting that Spencer kidnapping Malcolm leads to Arya breaking up with Prezra, which if you um, if you believe that Spencer might have some feelings for Arya and want her to be broken up with Prezra, isn't that such a Mona Vanderwall-esque move to engineer this situation so that Arya and, and to make it so that Arya is the one doing the breaking up, you know, to engineer this whole situation so that uh, to get the boy out of the way. It certainly is interesting, and it's also interesting in terms of the way that when we thought A in season one sometimes acted as a deranged life coach, that Spencer as A is setting up a situation where Arya is going to be able to do the thing that she has secretly been wanting but unable to do. Yes. Totally. Totally, totally agree. Yeah, it's really, it's really, it's really good. Yeah, it's really Spencer, uh, well, and that's another thing when, like, practice is so much more fun than the real thing. Like, is Spencer practicing or is Spencer doing it in earnest? Who can say? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great, that's a great point. Yeah, that whole idea of practice being better than the real thing and the way that that is sort of manifesting in all of the liars, like even in Arya's storyline, like, you know, when Malcolm was just this theoretical idea, it was like, oh, sure, I'm on board. Nothing can break us up. But the real thing of like being a teen stepmom, not so fun, not so easy, you know? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That's actually like Arya thought she was in a rom-com, but now she's in teen stepmom, like a zany sitcom. This is not going well for her. Well, or even in Ashley's story where it's like the the idea of being with Pastor Ted is a lot more appealing than the reality of being with Pastor Ted. Mostly mm. because you constantly have to call him Pastor Ted. Oh, so Do you think gross. he makes her call him that in bed? I was just going to say that. Yes, I think yeah. he does. Yeah, he seems like the type. Oh. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Do we have any more to say about this before we go into the A-tag? Uh, no, no, I think we're, I think we're good. Uh, I think that we can definitely presume that Mona has marked locations on that game board 
where she and Spencer are going to meet up and make out in various supply closets around the Radley grounds. Prove me wrong. I'm sure you can't. <laughs> well, it might be Mona's hoodie and she might've had to like strip it off to, to, you know, give it to Spencer. Also just side note, that is like the stretchiest pillowcase in the world. Like it can hold everything. <laughs> yes, definite agreement on that. Yes. So we go to our A tag, which is another body being wheeled into the morgue. We see that this is the body with the Toby tattoo, but it appears that the Toby tattoo is starting to fade. Yes. Yes, bum, 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 and that is I'm Your Puppet. The next episode, the season finale of season three, if you can believe it, is a dangerous game. Oh, I can't wait. We're in a very exciting stretch of episodes. The next episode is pretty rushed, uh, and there's just a lot going on, um, but it's always fun. It's always fun to get to, like, the climactic episode of the season it is. And it's, I mean, there's some fun stuff. Jenna and Melissa are back. Um, Jenna is confirmed queer in this episode, which is a big deal. Um, uh, there's like, we're definitely like leaning much further into the alley is definitely a live piece of things. Sarah Harvey apparently um, flies a plane. Like there's, <laughs> there's, there's a lot going on. There uh, is, there is. The, the queerness, uh, the queerness continues to abound here in the era of the peak gay. It totally does. It totally does. Um, do you have any more, any more thoughts that you would like to share about I'm Your Puppet? No, no. I, I think we're good. I think we got a real nice ghost waltz. And if anyone wants to write in uh, to tell us about what they think Shauna's texts are, I would love to hear from them. <laughs> Yes, we would love to hear from from you. You can send us an email at everybodyapodcast at gmail.com. You can also check out our Instagram at everybodyapodcast or send in a rating and review on iTunes. Uh, We are excited to be back with the season three finale. It is hard to believe. Um, Until then, take care. Hope you are staying healthy. And until next time. Till then. Thank you.